Well, car alarms, flashing lights, and hazard cones. What gets your attention? When I first started driving, my dad made sure this was grinded in my head. He said this, when you see the oil light in the car, stop. I don't care if you're going to church. Let them blame me. Stop. You can't go anymore. I'll never forget when my dad said that. He pointed his finger at me and he got almost angry. And I got the point. The reason I share that with you is our passage of scripture we're looking at this morning is a warning. It is a long section that we'll look at together and we'll read and ponder. And it's a reminder that the book of Hebrews is best not seen in parts or in chapters, but rather with the lens of an extended sermon. That's what you could really call the book of Hebrews, an extended sermon. The heading for our entire series is Jesus is Greater. And you'll see that in the message today that Jesus is the greater rest. And we'll see throughout the scriptures warnings. Three weeks ago, we had a warning that Pastor Brian shared from Hebrews chapter 2, 1 through 4. Today's another warning. In five weeks, there will be a warning. And there will be two more upcoming. So just a point of clarification and understanding about warnings. This is really important. Warnings are not the same as judgment. Understand that. Warnings are not the same as judgments. If that would be the case, then all God would do is judge us and condemn us. But he warns us. And he does that because he loves us and he cares for us. Author and writer Paul Tripp, his insight was so helpful as I was working on this message. He said this, one of the ways we experienced the loving fatherhood of God is in his unrelenting commitment to warn us of various dangers of life in this fallen world. Boundaries are to warn us and to caution us. That's where we're going to go this morning. We're going to look at a large passage of Scripture, lots of verses that work together, and it begins with a warning to not be like your spiritual parents. This idea of repeating parents' mistakes are seen in a series of commercials. Maybe you've seen them before. It's the progressive car insurance, and it says first-time homeowners act a lot like their parents when they buy their first home. And as I've watched these series of commercials, I've laughed and I've thought, oh my word, I do that. I hope that you can laugh and have fun with yourself. Mark Twain, the great American writer, said this, history doesn't repeat itself, but it does rhyme. Isn't that good? History doesn't repeat itself, but it does rhyme. And so the book of Hebrews cautions us and makes us aware not to repeat what our parents did. And so we are to listen and we're to lean in and we're observe and to whisper two words that Jesus hears every time, have mercy. And then we will also look at one of the typologies that are in the book of Hebrews. What do you mean by that? Well, maybe a better word is shadows or foreshadowing. It points to the reality of Jesus. As we looked last week that Moses is great, but Messiah is greater, today we'll see that Moses' followers 
are contrasted with followers of today. We'll also see a comparison with an Old Testament Joshua as compared to a New Testament Joshua or Jesus. So here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like for you to uh, find a copy of the scriptures. There's Bibles that are in your pew. I want to encourage you to follow along. And if you have your own Bible, I would encourage you to grab a pen. Here's where I'm going with that. When we read the scriptures in the first part, look for verbs. Verbs that describe our spiritual parents. Circle the words. Circle the verbs. Highlight the verbs. That'll be in chapter 3. And then when we get to chapter 4, look for a repeated word, rest, R-E-S-T. Look for that word and circle all the times. Now, I'm going to cheat, as a good teacher would do, and tell you the answer right away. How many rests are you looking for? Eleven. There it is. Okay? Reading in Jesus' name. So with the pen and paper, let's look at the Word of God. And the ESV translation starts with verse 7 saying, therefore, a key word in summary. In other words, what we just studied in 3, 1 through 6, now here's how that plays out. You got your pen? Here we go. So as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness where your ancestors tested and tried me. Though for 40 years they saw what I did, this is why I was angry with that generation. I said, their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful heart, unbelieving, sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily as long as it's called today so none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. As it's just been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who are, who are they who heard and rebelled? Were they not the, all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with, whom has he with, and with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose body perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Chapter 4. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest st still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet, his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. And again in the passage above, he said, they shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, 
God again set a day called today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their examples of disobedience. For the word of God is alive and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. This is alive. This is God's word. It speaks today. It shows our hearts. And listen to his voice. Amen. I want to encourage you, and if you're watching online, I want to encourage you and welcome you. So glad you joined us as well, too, or listening on the radio. I want to encourage you to take a look at the uh, bulletin insert as we look at two points, and they follow the two passages, chapter 3, 7 through 19, it should be, and then 4, 1 through 3, 1 through 13. And the first thing we want to say about not missing the greater rest of Jesus is this. Our spiritual parents missed it, and because they missed it, that is soul dangerous. Our spiritual parents missed it, and that is soul dangerous. What you read and what we read together and followed along was the result of 600,000, at least 600,000 scholars, scholars think, of dyed corpses that resulted in a stench in the wilderness like you can't believe. They died and they rotted in the wilderness not because they got lost or they lost a map, but because of internal rebellion. The scriptures that are printed there, I'd encourage you to turn over to page 62 to Exodus chapter 17. And the first rebellion that they had was an internal rebellion. What do I mean by that? It happened amongst them. On page 62, beginning in chapter 17, it says that the whole Israelite community went out from the desert of sin. What an incredible desert, huh? Traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded, and they camped at Remedan, where there was no water for the people to drink, and they complained. Look what they said in verse 3. The people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses, and they said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst. Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I trying to do? What am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord answered Moses, go out in front of the people, take with you some of the elders of this Israel and take in your hand the staff which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand there before the rock of Horeb, strike the rock. Water will come out for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel and they called the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? We call that an internal rebellion 
because it happened amongst the people. And there's a warning here. Not to be like our spiritual parents. And there's a warning witness. The second passage of scripture that's noted there in your worship bulletin and on the screen here is from Numbers 13. And that's on page 124, 125. I encourage you to take a look at that. Open it up. Go to your right. Page 124 and 125. And this is a very famous passage of scripture that our children learn early. We've maybe spent some time in it. God's people had crossed the Jordan River. They are under a new leader now, not Moses, but Joshua. And they are going to explore the land of Cana. And you'll notice in chapter 13, it says, take leaders from every tribe, leaders. And they are to, in a real sense, go on a reconnaissance mission. Moses gives them these instructions. Find out what the land is like. Is it good land? Is it fertile land? Can you grow crops in that land? What are the cities like? Are they fortified? Are they unwalled? Are there, fort are there forests there? Is there good wood to build? And what are the people like? Can you come back with that? And because it was harvest season, they said, could you come back with some fruit as well too? And boy, did they come back with fruit. Abundant fruit. And their report, their report was this, Psalm thir uh, Numbers 13, verse 32, page 125. The land we explore devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the ascendants of Anak had come from Nephilim. And we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them as grasshoppers. If you jump down into verse, chapter 14, verse 3, this is what they said. This is how they rebelled. This is the warning. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and our children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Oh, man. Chuck Swindoll said in his commentary, he said, if God, instead of them saying, if God is for us, who can be against us? Maybe you've heard that before. What they said, if giants are against us, who can be for us? This is the warning. This is soul dangerous. The passage of scripture that we read from the book of Hebrews, the parts that are quotes, if you take a look at verses 7 through 11, and then verse 15, and then 4, 3, and then 4, 8. All those quotes are from Psalm 95. It's a 500-year look back. It's the psalmist saying, warning, warning, caution, be aware. There are some key verbs key verbs that hopefully you caught. Did you circle the word hardened in verse 8? Did you circle the word rebelled, rebelled in verse 8 and then verse 15? And then did you circle the word tested? Again and again we see this word today. What does that mean? The King James uses this translation. He limiteth 
a certain day. The NAS translation says he fixes a certain day. It sounds like we're from the south, right? Hear his voice. Even under Mo Moses' leadership, the children of Israel didn't enter the promised land. Kenneth Wiest, a commentator that I found great help for, says, take a look at the two words that are used in verse 9. One is the word tested, and one is the word tried. The first word test means to see what is good or evil in a person. The word tried means to put to the test for the purpose of approving the person if he meets the test. Who are they trying and who are they testing? Our Father in heaven. Literally, it means in verse 9, put God to the test to see if there is evil or good in him. And when they put God to the test, this will approve if he's able to meet the need. Wow. What crass unbelief is shown in this procedure, what an insult it flings into the face of an all-loving and pers purposeful God. Here is the caution. Here is the warning. Don't be like your spiritual parents. Verses 15 through 18 in chapter 3, circle back, revisit in a series of questions. And in verse 15, the warning is nuanced in verse 15 with this idea for the verb. Are you listening? Are you hearing? And so here is the warning witness. Is our Heavenly Father worthy to be trusted and obeyed? Look at verses 15, 18, and 19. Is our Heavenly Father worthy to be trusted and obeyed? I usually ask questions at the end of the sermon, but I put this in the worship bulletin, and again, you'll find it. Here's a couple questions. Where in your relationship with Jesus do you find yourself drift, drifting most frequently? Have you allowed your ears to become dull to the warnings of the Bible, putting you at risk from falling away from the living God in any way? And secondly, how has the gospel message proved to be reliable in your life? Be specific. Has God himself revealed himself to be good and faithful again and again? List it, write it down, remember it. It'll be a check. It'll be a check in your spirit against the warning. Now, if they had a warning, we had a warning too. And it's tied to the book, it's tied to the word rest. Now, let's be clear about what rest isn't and what rest is. What rest isn't in the Bible is a long nap or booking a VRBO or a getaway or a vacation. I had a friend who posted on social media this picture of her. She was sitting in a chair, good friend of mine, and uh, sitting in a chair, looking out the window, comfy chair, feet propped up, cup of coffee, a book, looking out at a deer. And she said, ah, peaceful. And I thought, ah, venison. Just a difference of the two. The word is rest is connected to the person of Christ. And so there is an English pastor who pastors in uh, 
Ohio. His name is Alistair Begg. And he reminds us that we find Christ in all the scriptures. In the Old Testament, he is predicted. In the Gospels, he is revealed. In Acts, he is preached. In the epistles, he is explained. And in Revelation, he is expected. Isn't that good? Yeah. It's called the Christocentricity of the scriptures. It's the red letter theme throughout the scriptures that Christ is there, Christ is there, Christ is there, Christ is there. How does that connect to the warning in this regards? The warning is now for us. The Messiah rest can be missed. Verse 4, chapter 4, verse 1 tells us they failed to receive the promised rest. The ultimate rest wasn't a physical present, a physical piece of land. Rest was ultimately finding its place in the Redeemer. Now the warning is set off by a series of three therefores, and I love that word, as you know. And the first therefore is at beginning in verse 1 through 5. Rest is more than cease. Rest is connected to a person. Rest is more than just cease. Ah, day off. Is that rest? It's part of rest. But it's connected to a person. Look at verse 2 in 4.2. Notice the differentiation between we and us and they and them. Both of those groups of people have been evangelized gospelized. The they and them are the Moses followers. They didn't believe. They had no rest. The we and us are first century readers, are followers of Christ now, who have believed, who have faith in Christ, who can rest. We are built to have a relationship with our Heavenly Father. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity said this, God made us, he invented us as people invent an engine. A car is made to run on petro, maybe electricity, and it would not run properly on anything else. Now God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn or the food our spirits were designed to feed on. There is no other. That is why it's no good asking God to make us happy in our own way. God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself because it's not there. So a good question is, is did people back in the Old Testament believe in the same way we did? Did people back then, who he's comparing us to, did they believe in the same way we did? Well, Hebrews chapter 11.6 says this, And without faith it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Hebrews 3.5 says this about Moses. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. It says about Moses, Moses regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as greater than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking to his reward. So in a simple way, let me summarize it this way, in all types or shadows 
or foreshadowing, the idea is redemption. When God incarnates himself, it is always as Yahweh Redeemer. Whether it's in types or events in the Old Testament, it's as a Redeemer to save us. And none is more true than in verses 6 through 10 of chapter 4. Another Joshua gives us true rest. The name in Hebrew for Joshua, or I should say in Hebrew, Joshua is J-O-S-H-U-A. But in the Greek, you can take Joshua and translate that Jesus. And there's a 500-year look back that says the people of Israel never did receive that rest. Look at verse 3. Now we who believed in that have believed to enter that rest just as God has said, so I declared an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest, even though it was Joshua. And in verse 8 it says this, for if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. Here is the warning. Choose the Joshua you will follow. The New Testament Joshua who gives a greater rest. There are two excuses that people use when confronted with the person of Jesus Christ. One, I'll do it later. Or two, bad things will never happen to me. What is the prevention for the unbelief to enter rest? Listen to the call of the gospel. Repent. Encourage one another. The condition for rest is this. Have you heard his voice today? Don't harden your heart. Don't live a dual lifestyle seduced by sins. Faith's role is saying yes to the voice of God. Faith's role allows the Spirit of God to use his word to work faith in us. Hold on to that. Hold on to that with confidence. Finally, the last therefore assures us that rest assurance is linked to God's word. Let me repeat that again. Rest assurance is linked to God's word. An English commentator by the name of William Barclay calls this the terror of the word of God. The terror of the word of God. I'd never heard of that before. Our church holds a very high view of the word of God and for good reason. And we're seeing here in verses 12 through 13 the reason why. One of the words is the word of God is alive and active. Alive. Think about that for just a second. You've probably picked up the fact that I enjoy history. I'm a history major. And there are three people I would love to have coffee with someday. Churchill, Lincoln, and Teddy Roosevelt. But no matter how many books I read, movies I watch, or impersonations I see, I will never meet them. I'll never meet them. But the Word of God is different. The Word of God is alive. It's personal. We know God through His Word. Yes, we can give all kinds of background on why we can trust it, but it is alive, and we encounter the living God in the pages of Scripture. It changes you. <laughs> That's incredible. My sheep know my voice. And we can know him by reading God's 
holy word. And when we open it, sometimes it would be appropriate to go, oh, really? That's what that word means. God's word is alive and active. And the most basic thing, I know it sounds like super basic, 101, old school, whatever you want to call it, but you can't grow in your relationship with Jesus if you don't read his word. It's that basic because it's alive. Here's the second word that's just so powerful. And here's one of the reasons why it changes you. The word laid bare was used in three different ways back then. The word laid bare. One was a wrestler hold to grab someone by the neck as if to almost paralyze them. The second was used for those who hunted when they would find a have an animal and they would string it up and they would have gutted it and it's just laid bare. But the third one was this. When there would be captives that would be taken, they would take the tip of a knife and put it under the captive as if to have them look at the victor. The Word of God lays us open and it not only tells us who God is, but it tells us who we are. We're sinners and we're chosen. We're rebels, but we have been rescued. We stand apart from God on our own, but yet Christ has graced us and called us daughters and sons of the king. Wow! That's what God's word does. Daily, always. Let me conclude with this. Unlike any other nation, the nation of Israel and now the church, followers of Jesus, are commanded to rest and cease and pause. The fourth commandment in eight words is simplified in this small phrase. The Sabbath is rest for the body and it's food for the soul. Those things work together. I want to encourage you that as we are at this section of Scripture that you realize that we're, bet- we're in a warning passage. That's what today was. It was all about a warning, a warning. What our spiritual parents did, that was so dangerous. Is God worthy to be trusted and obeyed? You answer that question. Secondly, Messiah rest can be missed. Don't let it happen to you. On the back side of your bulletin, there is what I have found to be a very helpful hack, if you will, between the shadow and the reality in the book of Hebrews. We're right between a couple sections. And next week, Pastor Brian will lead us into this passage of Scripture right over there, and we'll talk about our high priest. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this warning. Thank you for being kind enough to have it be written by the author of the book of Hebrews. I pray that, Lord, you would work in our own lives, that you would show us our sin that you would show us areas that need to be turned to you, that we need to seek help, that we need to rest in. 
Are you worthy to be trusted and obeyed? Yes, yes, emphatically yes. Shine through us, Lord, as we have gathered now. Soon we'll scatter. In Christ's name, amen.